and um, and it was really cool too because originally when we started Bolter, we designed a T-shirt before it even made a beer. We had this T-shirt design. Isn't that, that what every business does? Yeah, <laughs> design a T-shirt, yeah. then go live up to it. Yeah. <laughs> My name's Sterling Howland, and I'm the co-founder and brand director of Bolter Brewing Company. When Sterling agreed to come on the show, I was pumped. He's such a phenomenal storyteller, copywriter, and marketer. He had nearly 20 years of experience as the global brand director for Billabong. He was the creative director at Nimble. And most importantly, he coined the phrase drinkableness. He's the lead singer of the Handsome Elvis campaign. He invented Tin Yada and my favorite Bolter campaign, Tins of Glory. Take a listen. From Poly Studios, I'm Billy O'Donnell. This is Pivot. So initially when COVID was breaking out, maybe in the first two weeks of March, what were your own initial fears? Oh, I think um, I think the first one was just confusion. I felt like yep. um, this thing was happening, like it was like you're watching this bus come at you and it was all in slow-mo and you're looking at it going, no, nah, this isn't going to hit hit us, is it? It's not going to hit us. And you're just looking at this thing, but it kept coming and coming and coming yep. and then all of a sudden it's right on your doorstep and you're just like, oh my gosh, better jump out of the way here. This thing's going to wipe everyone out. And and I felt like that just a probably helplessness was was the first sort of emotion you went through and yep. and because you just didn't know what was happening or what was going to happen or were um, you trying to kind of be not naive to it but you didn't really want to accept it or um it's funny I was maybe one of the first and this is not me usually um I was one of the first people in the business to go hey guys I think we should be taking this serious I think something big's about to go down and look, I'm never the smartest guy in the room. Um, and, but I just had this intuition that something yeah. wasn't right. Okay. And so I think I was taking it very seriously very early on. And then I, I saw it sort of flow through the team as well. And our CEO especially took it really seriously early on. And um, yeah, I felt like we... Was there a bit of resistance kind of there coming from other people? I think there was just an unknown. It's yeah. kind of like, oh, it's just the sniffles. Like, surely we'll, they'll be fine. It's just, just the, the sniffles. Yeah. I haven't heard anyone refer to COVID as just yeah. the sniffles so far. Well, that's the that's the kind of feeling because that's what is, everyone's just like. It's, surely it, it can't be that bad, you know. And yep. um, and I don't think we've in our time. I don't think we've really witnessed a pandemic of this scale. Yes. Like there's been SARS and the bird flu and all these different ones, but I, I don't think they went so far um, around the world. So once it really started taking a grip, I think everyone was very sobered by that. Yeah. And so from then, when you've grasped actually the severity of it, what were the pivots that Bolter had to make, the changes, closing down the tap room? Obviously, the hospitality industry would be a large part of your revenue mm -hmm. and that just overnight gone. What goes sort of through your mind? Yeah, it was, it was quite interesting because we were just about to turn on this, they call it the tap optimization program where we were going to go from around 490 taps in Australia at different pubs to around 1,600. And um, that's a big jump for us yeah. and a massive increase to our business. Yep. And a few days before um, that was about to take place, it just got turned off immediately. Um, you know, tap business is about 40% of the bolted business um, yep. as we know it. Um, it would have moved out to about 50% or 60% of the business um, had that taken place. So we'd had um, this situation where we'd had our pack beer in stores all around Australia, yep. which we're very fortunate for. And that was a real blessing um, in disguise. And 
Um, so we just was like, okay, well, tap business is gone. Um, you've just lost 40% of your revenue. We don't want to lose any of our staff. Um, that's, that was always the first priority for us is like, how do we preserve our people? Because we've worked so hard on bringing this team yeah, together and I the fear of losing them was the, that was probably the biggest fear and the biggest unknown. Cause so staff before customers, like even internally as a culture, is that kind of your mindset? For sure, because if we've got our back of house right, if our staff are engaged and happy and we're living our values here, you can live your values out there. So um, so that was a big focus for us. So everything we did and every move we made was about, okay, um, we're in it together, as everyone said. So for example, if we had to cut back days at work, everyone cut back days from the mm. CEO all the way through to to the casual staff that were working in that. the tap room. It's awesome. Um, and then we all do that together incrementally. We all cut back at the same rate. Um, so that actually helped us stem the blood flow of because we got very we got fairly big overheads in our staff. Yeah. And because we invest in people, it's really important to us. And so preserving that was a big part. So if we could stem the flow of blood there, we just hoped that whenever this thing finished hopefully we've got a pulse at the end of it and we can come back to life. And even being in the Carlton United brewing family now, um, we took more drastic um, measures even than the mothership did. Um, we we went in a bit harder and we had a more grim view of the world because we felt if we overthought the situation and, and went to the worst possible case scenario and worked back from that, hopefully anything above and beyond gravy. So we, we, had a vision that we wouldn't be selling kegs until October. We had um, an idea that even when we do sell kegs in October, only this many venues are going to survive. And we really worst case scenario at everything. For other business owners, do you think that's the best approach to have is sort of preparing for the worst, hope for the best? Yeah, I think so. It's that old um, under promise, over deliver mentality or that that type of thinking. I don't think you can ever get yourself caught out that way. Yeah. Um, the pain points uh, are quite harsh up front, but, you know, it's like the, you cut off the hand if it's got gangrene so the rest of the body doesn't get infected. So, yep. look, I saw businesses like Labart in Burley. Like, Labart's one of my favourite restaurants in the country and we were just eating there probably five days earlier, had the most magical meal, and then he just jumped on um, Alex and, um, and Carla, just jumped on the front foot and just said, we're going to take away. And everyone's just like, oh my gosh, the whole hospo industry in Australia looked at these guys yep. and they did. They were so proactive. And as a result, they've they've kept afloat and they've kept things in check. And, you know, you read this week that they're going to be reopening their doors to a certain amount of diners. And um, I felt like that early decision-making for them especially has held them in good stead. And I feel like ours is really coming to Trump's now. And last week we yep. sold 380 kegs and we had not planned on selling any kegs until October. So. Awesome. Um, definitely that 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 um, worst case scenario approach has worked for us. Yeah. And you mentioned your revenue from the hospitality industry was 40%. In that initial couple of weeks of COVID, there was sort of like a stocking up mentality. Everyone was, I know even my family, my dad and he all hate hearing this. He stocked up down at Dan Murphy's <laughs> and everyone was doing that. Was that kind of in a roundabout way did that sort of work to your advantage were people stocking up massively on your beers in wholesale 
Yeah, so look, when it comes to on-premise and, and pubs, obviously it was gone. Um, when it came to retail, uh, there was an initial spike. Um, across the board, it sort of flatlined a little bit, okay. um, probably because everyone stocked up maybe too much. Uh, but we did see a, a spike in it. Then there was a drastic falling off and that was reported nationwide in all sectors yep. everywhere. Um, but what we found in the last sort of 30 days is this insanely big sur- resurgence for us of around pack beer. And we've had our biggest months in pack beer ever um, and not in the hype of um, distress buying. It's like people are just... I don't know. For us, I feel like mm. uh, it's a they're they're taking luxuries home with them, yep. and may for whatever reason, Bolter might be one of those luxuries that they want to enjoy at home. Yep. And yeah, so we have seen a, a massive amount of momentum, um, you know, in their retail space. But it, this time's also allowed us to focus on it as well. Yep. Um, you know, when we're looking at the tap optimization program, we're like, okay, we're nationally in pack, we'll be fine, it'll keep ticking along, we'll do well, but. There was actually some really big holes in um, our approach to the retail space, and in this time, we've just totally revamped our um, our approach. And what were those holes? Oh, just basically not enough. We weren't focusing enough working with independent retail groups. So, yep. you know, you've got independent retailer group Australia, but you also got your multinationals as well. And we've had this amazing period where Bolter beers are just selling. They, they go onto the shelf and they sell. We do a limited release and they sell out really quick. Yep. And you can get caught um, in a bit of apathy, I think, mm. um, when things are going really well. Yep. Um, oh, we'll just keep doing it the way we've been doing it and things will keep happening. But as you get a bit bigger, the comp- competitiveness ramps up a lot and um, value propositions start coming in from left and right yep. and you can't just rest on your laurels and perhaps we were just resting on our laurels a little bit. Yep. So it just, um, and it wasn't for lack of um, being cocky or arrogant. It was more so just that maybe we just gotten a bit comfortable and we're like, okay, we need to focus on this part of our business now. That part of the business is fine yep. and away we went. So in a in a Blessing in Disguise, COVID just has really helped us focus on our little tinny and making sure that we're delivering the best value to our customer, which then obviously would flow onto the consumer. So, yeah. Awesome. This podcast is sponsored by Polly Studios. Everyone has an idea for a podcast, and now you can make that dream a reality. Go to polystudios.com.au for more information. You touched on that people were still buying and are still buying right now lots of bolter because it kind of fits in that category of you know is it essential or is it, or is it not essential no one really knows i mean i think within australian culture beer is probably considered an essential but it's somewhat of a premium product and it's interesting that in a time where people were probably holding on to their pennies they're still really loyal to a brand regardless of price i'd love to get your take on just price sensitivity during this time? Yeah. Um, I think for Bolter, we've always focused hard on on our customer experience and we've really focused hard on being who we say we are. Mm. It's, um, yeah, and so we've built a lot of value in our back end. So all, I believe value is built at home first. So we have to have a set of values in our, our business and cultural values that, we adhere to and 
when you people probably see it as um, a bunch of one percenters, and you hear people talk about this all the time, but at home, behind the veil, when no one's watching, what are our behaviours? Um, are we trustworthy? Are we doing things ethically? Are we, um, you know, let's take beer for example. Yep. Are we cutting corners? Are we using cheaper ingredients? Are we um, pulling, dropping tanks um, just because we need to get beer into market or we're giving them their full fermentation process? Is all our, everything we do to our beer, is it actually um, integral? And yep. when you look behind the veil at Bolter, it is. Um, we don't cut corners at all. We don't use cheap ingredients. We don't um, behave in a way where we're like, the customer can't see us right now. Do you reckon we could just dial this down for mm. a bit of margin? We don't do that. Yep. And that's because we have this sort of um, adherence to integrity. We want to make sure that we are honest and we are truthful. So you repeat those behaviors back of house. They're going to flow out front of house. And for me as a marketer, I can speak truth. I don't have mm. to speak in um, half-truths. I don't – basically, I'm not a bullshit artist at that yep. point. I'm just telling our truth. And that's what I probably love about Bolter. And I feel that's where maybe not everyone can see that, but they feel that value. Yes. And when they open up that little tinny and it is that beer that they love and it is that beer that they love time and time and time and time again – Trust just grows with that. Um, that brand value goes. So we never got into a pricing war. It's a very easy yep. path to take is to just jump in, okay, let's mm. battle it out for price and, and that. But we, we're not the most expensive, but we're not the cheapest. But what we do bring is a sense of value with what we do as long as they are what they say they are. Yep. And so for me, um, I felt like this was a really amazing uh, visualization of people's trust in the Bolter brand. And um, it makes me really proud that they value us and um, continue to support us in yeah. that fashion. Do you think do you think people buy in just because of the quality of the beer, but also sort of the social element of it? Because it, it is a really social brand that speaks and people want to be a part of it. And it's funny. It's got an outrageous sense of humor. Do you think that is nearly more powerful than the taste of the beer? I think um, they both work um, in unison together. Um, yep. You know, one without the other is good, but um, together they they both are great. Um, so our brand has been built around the things you just mentioned. Um, you know, our philosophy is good beer with enjoyment. Um, you know, what happens around beer is is as important as what goes into the beer. Mm. And as an experiential brand, as a brand that people experience usually around the best moments of their day, you know, beer is usually synonymous with the best moments. Yep. Our job is to really expand upon that and to celebrate those things. And we've done that for years now. And I feel that when people see that smile, they see with enjoyment on the can, it's not just a tagline to them anymore. It's actually this thing that Bolter manifests. And it, it might be with tinny hurling and sliding tinnies down a bench and playing that sport or... For those that don't know what tinny hurling is, it's a sport that Sterling and the Bolter team have created. It's one of the outrageously funny, remarkable, and actually socially responsible campaigns that they've created. Take a listen. The humble tinny, invented to give humankind the ability to transport beer wherever it is needed.
could be um, just a fun event. We'll run like a whole lot of laughs where you're eating great food and listening co to comedians or um, it just might be the way we chat on social media and, and the fact that we don't take ourselves extremely seriously. We're mm. happy to poke fun at ourselves. Yep. Um, and all that is is an extension of us as people. Yeah. So essentially when they're connecting with the Bolter brand, they're connecting with the founders of the brand. Yeah, awesome. At that point because it's not two separate things. Yep. Um, you know, a lot of the time when people are just talking directly to Bolter on social media, they're chatting to me. And um, I don't reckon there'd be a lot of brands in Australia that have their founders directly connecting with their consumer. Yep. And I do that because I love it. I do that because it shows me a lot. It tells me a lot. Um, and, you know, and the team I have around me now are all taking up those values of awesome. that intimacy. So, yeah, I look, brand value is built brick by brick. Um, there's no big massive brush that you can just tar across it it's all these little behaviors front of house and back of house yeah. that that build this value and when it comes time to connect with the consumer because you've worked so hard on the back end they're going to feel a natural glow and that'll that. and that'll get you through whatever times i reckon it will i i you know as long as you keep being who you say you are and you know if you haven't built that value people will discard you quite quickly yep. or if you repeat repeatedly let them down they'll discard you quite quickly yep. um so yeah i do believe that brand value definitely holds you in good stead well it seems to have held us in good stead through yep. this time you talk about a sense of humor uh in marketing i would love your take on how important a sense of humor is but also how you manage a sense of humor during a pandemic because i mean we're living in crazy times at the moment I mean, even right now, riots overseas, mm. COVID, bushfires, it's been a pretty crazy year. How have you had to navigate that sensitivity when it comes to copywriting, but still being true to that sense of humor that you have? I, I just treat it like people. Um, sometimes you know when to shut up and you can read a room and you, and you, um, you, you adapt to your environment um, without compromising who you are as well if you're a naturally funny person sometimes humor can bring light to a poor situation um mm. and so as a brand i probably i have that same approach i have that same worldview. um you know we bolt is very community focused we don't yell it from the rooftops um the stuff we do yeah um we feel that it's an old biblical principle actually it's like don't let the left hand know what the right hand's doing you know it's like yep. maybe show a bit of humility with um, your corporate social responsibility and all that sort of stuff. Um, yep. It's good to communicate what you've done because if you're saying you're doing a fundraiser, you need to still communicate. But I feel like Bolter, um, if it was a person, it would be very empathetic. Yep. Um, but it's also that person that can make you laugh. And I don't know, no, people in my life that are like that, I appreciate them. Yeah, and I can sure. respect where they're coming from. So for us, we haven't necessarily dialed down our humour we just know maybe where to to deliver that and where to yep. just to pull back a little bit. So I think that, I don't know if that answered your question, but... Yeah, I suppose I'd love to hear how you come up with your campaigns because I know even during this whole period, I've seen some really cringy, salesy, apparently corporate social responsibility campaigns. You know, everyone just throws out the generic 
support local hashtag we're here for you and all of a sudden you've got luxury car dealerships that are apparently here for me pop up on my internet browser and it's just really generic and salesy Mm. i would love to know how you come up with your campaigns because i've seen you championing the don't drink alone i know that wasn't your campaign but you're really getting around that and it's meaningful Mm. so you're not waiting for a pandemic to come to be um, socially responsible you do it the whole time and then it just flows really naturally. Hey, g'day internet, it's Sterling here from Bolter. I'm just ringing in to, to say g'day. Well, it's not really ringing, is it? Um, it's just a video that I've put up on the internet. Uh, no one called anybody, but um, it's for the Don't Drink Alone campaign. Um, I was uh, nominated by Pierre Poynton. Thank you, Pierre, uh, to let us know you're thinking of us. Um, I think it's a really awesome reminder this campaign that um, we don't have to go it alone at home, even though we're locked down and in ISO. Um, you know, we've been zooming it Thank up. Thank you. Like, that's nice that you observe that. Um, I guess, look, like we, we spoke earlier just about it being an extension of who we are. Um, it's probably because we had good parents you know, um, and they had good parents. And I, I feel like your values don't have to sit separate to your work. I, I believe the best work is when they're all muddled in together and, and it's an extension of who you are. From that point, you, you've got a conviction. And for me, people don't necessarily buy what you're selling. They, they buy the, the why, you hear that a lot. Um, and our why is our conviction. We, we believe in the work, we believe in what we're doing. We are what we say we are. And so for me, I don't, I'd never feel the need to sell anything, right? I just, I don't feel the need to do that because Mm. people know they like beer, but why do they like our beer? And so we don't try and um, say that our product is going to be the catalyst to your environment. You are, you're, Mm. you're the people, like you're the ones with the personality. This is an inanimate object. But this inanimate object, if it tastes delicious and it's got a sense of enjoyment about it, it'll just assist that. It will help expand that moment. And we're not talking about getting drunk or getting loose and stupid. It's just um, communing with people is one of the greatest things on earth. And beer is one of the awesome things to commune around. I've heard you say the word the assist and I love that. Beer is just the assist to good times. Do you want to expand upon that? Yeah. Look, when we, when we had, um, before we even had uh, our name Bolter, we had this little logo lockup. It was just Beer Smiley. And um, you'll see it on the front of our brewery. Um, we don't have a logo on the front. We've got a Beer Smiley on the front of our brewery because, you know, when people rock up and they see that, that's their worldview, right? So Beer Enjoyment or Beer Smiley was a worldview before we even had the name Bolter. And our worldview was that beer is, it's synonymous with the greatest moments in life. Um, You hang out with friends, that's already complete. If you've got a beer in your hand, it's a wonderful assist, especially if it's a delicious beer. And and it's as simple as that. And and to me, it is an assist on a lot of levels. A beer isn't the be all and end all of life, you know, um, for us either. We get to do good in our community because of beer. Um, You know, we're not curing brain cancer we're not um, necessarily changing the world but because we make beer for a living we get that privilege we can actually do some good things and so again it's an assist to actually doing some good yeah and when you start to break it down like that beer it becomes a whole lot more than being just a drink 
And I'm very thankful that I work with a bunch of like-minded people that all have that exact same worldview. Mm. And um, so beer in, it, it, as an assist is both a philosophical, but it's also an attitudinal thing. It's a, it shapes values. It, yeah, it's, awesome. it's a whole lot more than just, um, yeah, just sitting around with mates having a drink. So during this time, you guys have actually released some beers, which is pretty crazy. You've had to change packaging, release new beers, you know, taproom, open, close, government restrictions. You're changing so much. But in a way, I think you guys are sort of built to innovate because you can launch products so quickly. Is that something that was intentional that you guys have designed your whole business so it's ready to adapt? Yeah, I think we look... You hear the word agile thrown around a lot, you know, being an agile business and, you, you know, you anyone who knows me knows I, I, I like to make fun of buzzwords. Um, I prefer to do them if we can. Um, we don't always do them or do them well, but um, agile is probably something our business has always been. Uh, you know, when COVID hit, um, it really was like, oh, we've got all these limited releases we want to bring out um, in keg, but also pack format, like, well, people even want to buy limited releases and we don't want to be pushing new beer on people if mm. they're feeling the pinch. Like there was all these, like we just had a bit of a, um, a bit of a dilemma in our own mind. It's like, we don't want to, we don't want to be um, insensitive. Um, mm. Do we keep on the path we're going? And so we kind of just simmered down for a sec and we're like, okay, well, let's just wait four weeks and see what's happening. And, um, and there was a few things going on. So there was all this keg beer out there um, that we um, don't know how long this was going to last for. So is this beer just going to sit around and go stale? Um, so we took all that back because um, we didn't want any stale beer out there. And you're talking 1,400 kegs just back and we, oh, we destroy yeah. that beer. Um, so that was one part of it. it was, okay, we've Destroy got, that beer. Yeah, we had to go down the sink a lot of it because oh. there was only so much we could sell through our tap room. Yeah. Then we had our, our tap room happening there and, you know, that was a – that was a big one because all of a sudden growlers weren't allowed anymore, which are two liter, you know, takeaway device. You can bring in, fill it up, take it home. Yep. You're only allowed one way vessels now. Now, was that a thing that was allowed and it wasn't allowed and it was on mm -hmm. off? How was it dealing with those? Yeah. So no, it was just, it was on, but then it was off. Okay. Um, so it was like, oh, it's on. So everyone was like bringing their growlers back and we're like selling, you know, yep. all this. And then, then it was gone. I'm like, oh gosh, that stopped the keg, the keg program from the tap room for doing takeaways. And then all of a sudden, we just we did. We called the mothership and said, CUB, do you have any, you know, do you have any uh, VB long necks laying around? Yep. Because we feel like we could start doing takeaway long necks. And um, Bolter's never been about glass. We're not at where we do cans for yep. a bunch of reasons, but um, we never envisaged glass being a part of our program was that a bit of a barrier to cross and just getting outside of a, a tinny um and was a, a bit of a trade-off you're like i didn't i don't want to go away from our brand but it's necessary at the moment sort of navigating that tension yeah oh man i had a lot of tension for it and i was just like you know because i've i've got very strong views on it but mm. at the same time um people were drinking these beers pretty much immediately they weren't going to be sitting around on shelves they yeah. weren't going to be out there for a long time so all of a sudden the the vessel when you put it in context um was totally fine yeah so we got this massive shipment of, of long necks up um, and all of a sudden people were getting long necks home delivered um and they could also come to the tap room and get takeaways and 
that alone sustained our entire tap room, wow. just the long neck program. Yep. And it allowed us again, not to lose any staff, but it was just a, a good idea that the CEO and Scotty had our head brewer while walking back from a meeting and it was so off the cuff and, um, I love that. and, it, and, but we made it happen within three days. Far out. And, um, and it was really cool too, because originally when we started Bolter, we designed a t-shirt before it even made a beer. We had this t-shirt design. Isn't that what every business does? Yeah. <laughs> design a t-shirt, yeah. then go live up to it. Yeah. <laughs> but, um, no, so it was, uh, long, uh, Phil necks and long necks, you know, but there's a saying frill necking, you know, I'm really happy. I'm stoked. And, yeah. um, frill necks and long necks. And, uh, it was one of my favorite designs that we've never used. And cause we never had, had yep. longies or glass anyway. It was like, I've got the logo for it. I've got the branding. It's already done. Everything's done. I love that. Yeah. So we turnkeyed it, got a stamp made for the paper bags that we put the longies in and yep. away we went. And to see our public just get behind that, that blew us away. Like yep. it was mind boggling and we yeah we that doesn't fall lightly for us we yeah. really appreciate this gold coast community and what they they got behind us yeah having those i mean that frill neck long neck idea in the bank how many ideas do you have in the bank and is that something you're doing in the margins of your time just going hey we could do this we could do that and you've just got them stored up and i suppose maybe speak to other businesses or business owners how much time should they be spending towards uh, innovating and new products. Yeah. So look, I see the world through a certain filter. Um, some people might just think I'm a dickhead, but I, I actually, I, I do see the world through a certain filter and I, I try to see everything from a very naive point of view. Yeah. Um, like with a childlike sort of filter, I guess, because as a communicator, the simpler you can communicate, easier it is going to be for people to pick up what you're putting down. Absolutely. And so, um, so I've got this really naive worldview. So I'm seeing every, everything to me is a joke. It's funny. There's something funny happening all the time. Um, you know, and I, I try to find the humor in everything. Um, so I'm constantly writing ideas down. I'm constantly um, writing scripts that don't exist for beers we haven't made or, um, yeah. And And you're getting that support from, I suppose your other business partners, giving you that freedom to innovate, create, how important is that to have people that back you? It's, it's massively important. Um, you know, Bolter's always really good at playing everyone in position where they're going to play best. Um, and their expectation of me is that I'm going to constantly innovate new ideas and new ways of communicating the brand. That's their expectation. So when they pass that ball to me without looking, they expect it to hit me on the chest or if it's at my ankles, I won't drop it. And I have the same expectation of my teammates, um, from the CEO to our finance department, to our brewers, wherever you go, it's that trust and knowing that these people can deliver on game day. So it's a wonderful environment to be in creatively. Um, and because it is essentially my business at the end of the day, um, and these are my ideas, there's no barriers really, except, um, the advertising code, you know what I mean? Yeah. So everything is, is open season. And as a creative person working with beer, it's just the most fertile space to come up with ideas. Um, so it's a bit of a loophole. You said you've got ideas for beers and copy for beers that don't exist. Is that typically how it works? Does Scotty come with you and say, hey, I've got a delicious beer. Can you put something around it? And you'll craft a new lot of copy for that beer? Or will you go to something you've already written 
or does it work the other way around? You go to Scotty and say, I've got such a good idea. Can you make a beer that, I mean, just to read some copy off uh, your IPA, drinking this IPA is like frolicking naked through a spring forest, then dive bombing off a mandarin-scented waterfall. And that's not even finished. So do you go to Scotty with that and say, mate, make yeah. me a beer that tastes like that? So the copywriting process exists like this. So I, I work, because to be a wonderful copywriter, you have to be writing all day, every day. And I love copywriting. It's a, one of my skill sets. But um, it's, if you're not doing it full time, you're not going to be fine-tuned. So what happens is Scotty's very poetic in the way he talks. So am I. And we've got a guy we work with, Timmy Hawken, and Tim's a wonderful writer. And Scotty and I will get on the phone and go, hey, hey, um, Timmy, we're going to we're bringing our new beer. It's an IPA. Um, these are the flavor profiles. This is the historical nature of the beer. This yep. is what we want people to feel. And as we start going through the emotive elements of it, Scotty and I will just start throwing crap out there. And I'm like, you know, I used the Seinfeld quote, I think. It was like a naked innocent boy roaming the countryside. And <laughs> Scotty was like, yeah, it's like diving into a – it's like diving into a – pool full of mandarins and and timmy's like okay it's like uh, like running through a you know a forest naked through a forest and then dive bombing off a mandarin scented waterfall and we're like yes <laughs> you know so it's this really collaborative process and what i love about that collaborative process is this no one has an agenda except how great can we communicate this or how good can the project be and so you bring all these bright people into the mix and you wrap out and you have no ego, so you just go bang, 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 and there it is. And no one's walking around going, I come up with that one. That was me. Um, or I came up with this, or I came up with that. It's like, how good is that what we come up with? That's you awesome. Know? And so that, that's this, this really thing. So, you know, we, like I said, we work with great people. Um, it's not just one person. Um, it's, uh, you know, for me, a lot of the ideas start here because that's, um, that's my job. It's the role. Um, but I tell you what, most of the ideas I've had, um, they just go into a new stratosphere when I get to wrap out with like-minded individuals. So if you could speak to business owners, copywriters, marketing managers, whoever's listening about how to construct a, an appropriate but really engaging campaign during all these crazy times, what would your advice be? Um, number one, stick to what you're good at. Um, it's really important that you know what you're good at. Don't step outside your realms. Um, if you're not a political brand, don't all of a sudden become politicised. Um, you have to earn those rights. You have yep. to earn those stripes. Um, if you're not necessarily funny, if you don't have brand doesn't have a sense of humour, don't go out and try and, and I guess be Jerry Seinfeld all of a sudden. Um, you can build to those things, but yeah. it's it's like don't behave in a way that's uncommon for your mm. audience. Respect the fact that you've built a certain narrative yeah. and play into that would be a good starting point. You have to know your why. You just have to know what you stand for and who you are and, and you, you have to do all those exercises. You have to shape yourself as like, if we were a person, who would we be? What do we stand for? Like I do all these exercises around our brand just to – have a litmus test and a sense check, you know. Mm. But I think, um, you know, we're here to talk to people about good beer with enjoyment, you know. Um, that's our role in society. Um, with enjoyment can come in so many different forms. And so what we do is we just focus on that, what we're good at. Um, and then at that point, because we've done it for so long, people aren't confused. Uh, you can still weave in um, 
different threads of, of conversation with that. But I just think staying really close to who you are and not freaking out and getting nervous and just doing anything. I think when pressure comes, it's a natural um, response mechanism yeah. that all humans have and that everyone has. We all naturally have the tendency to freak out yeah. um, and even just fall into the trap of, of doing things for the sake of it. Um, but sometimes it's nice just to catch your breath. Just catch your breath. Like try and get the whole picture. Try and get the whole scenario. And it's like, okay, let's formulate our pathway out of this. What is our truth? And, and how do we feel we're going to get through this? How do yep. we feel we're not going to have to lay off staff? Or mm. how do we feel that um, you can still continue to talk to your consumer without... Um, just being flippant and um, salesy, yeah, salesy and off the cuff, um, and so, yeah, if you know why you exist and you are consistent with all those things we spoke about earlier about your back of house and you've got these values that hold you really tight and these beliefs that hold you really tight, it should influence your behaviour at the front of house. So even when it gets shaky, you've got this central point to come back to to catch your breath and go, this is who we are. This is what we stand for. What can we produce out of that? So I want to read this from uh, McKinsey's latest consumer sentiment. It says, because of this virus, people have a heightened mortality salience, which refers to reminding people of their own mortality. Right now, we're all walking around with a heightened state of mortality salience, and that creates a sense of existential anxiety. While the effects are harder to predict, it does tend to make people more likely to spend in ways that support their core okay. values. So now in English, because I know there was a lot of marketing terminology in there. Basically, I was fascinated to see everyone's spending habits during COVID. Even though people were losing their jobs, their bank accounts were diminishing, they were still purchasing the premium products that they love. It makes no sense intuitively. We're losing money, but we're still spending on the premium products. I was desperate to find out from Sterling why he thinks this happens. Bolter is such a social brand and people want to be a part of it. How important is that brand storytelling if we leave COVID a more price-sensitive culture? People just need to feel that they're getting value at the end of the day. That, that's what it comes down to. Like if you go buy a Volkswagen, you know what price it's going to be and you know what you're going to get. If you go buy a Porsche, you know what you're buying into. If you buy a Honda XL, you know exactly what you're buying into and, and what value you're getting. All those brands have very clear um, value propositions. And for me, I feel like Bolter is very clear about that too. Um, people do rely on us. They trust our product. Um, we've shown that through consistent behaviors over four and a half years. And I feel that even in a price sensitive um, world, um, good brands, that offer value still continue to, to move along nicely. Um, there'll definitely be a dip. Um, that's just the nature of it. Um, a lot of people are looking for better deals and, and value, especially when there's so much on offer. But as a brand too, we believe in the values we've created. Um, there's nothing sinister or untoward back of house that would cheapen out what we do. Yep. And so we just keep moving forward to our, I guess, our convictions and yeah, I feel that value is just, it, it, it doesn't um, diminish at that point. And when the world bounces back, it kind of, you didn't um, get moved around or shaken 
mm. by the circumstances going on. Yep. And yeah, I think people value value. And um, hopefully that, that's what they see in Bolter. Community, I guess. We're, that all got taken away. Real FaceTime, that is. Yeah, like real FaceTime. Yeah, yeah not even through a phone. <laughs> Who would have thought, hey? Like I'm <laughs> connecting with people on the real. But um, so anyway, that was all taken away from us. And that's actually the big part of who we are yep. is that real-time connection and being accessible. Um, so from that point, we were like, well, how do we continue this? And we, we come up with the smile hour. It was meant to be the, the show that goes for 15 minutes but feels like an hour. And that's, <laughs> that was the jingle, but it actually did go for an hour and it was it, yep. sometimes it was quite a long hour. But we had so much fun because what it did was it just kept – the veil lifted off our mm. business. We've never been a secretive business. We've always been a very open business. Yep. And we felt the smile hour was a really nice way to connect directly one-to-one yeah. in real time and just maybe give people an insight they haven't seen. Mm. And I think too, like there, I think there was a little bit of a mentality out there that when we did sell it to CUB that maybe we'll just become these big corporate behemoths who don't care about our stuff anymore. Yeah. And um and I feel like the smile hour was just a nice demonstration of, of nothing's gone away for us. Yeah. And we had so much fun. G'day, folks. It's Sterling here from Bolter. I've got a special announcement to make. Uh, this Friday at 5 p.m., uh, we're inviting you to join us live on our Instagram and Facebook for a special little show we're starting called The Smile Hour. Was that super, like, vulnerable and scary for you to just kind of get behind a camera and just ex- expose yourself and... Mm. Um, just try something new. Yes. Like I'm used to talking in front of crowds and I love it. I love getting in front of the crowd and feeling an energy. I, I love cracking a joke and you hear people laugh and yeah. and it's all around something you enjoy, which is this beer we make. And that's amazing. But on the internet, all you've got is the little hearts that light up if you say something that people agree with or whatever it is or the messages coming in. Yeah. There's no real-time feedback and I feed off crowds. Mm. So that was daunting. And after yeah. I did the first one, I just felt like I was lost at sea. And But the camera was way over there because we had to fit Scotty and I in, so I couldn't even see the comments. And it wasn't until I got it way up here that I was way more comfortable because I could interact and just bounce around. So, yeah, it was totally vulnerable. Um, you know, I'm comfortable with being a dickhead. So <laughs> it's, look, just take me how I am and, and yeah. hopefully we'll have some fun. And you might like me turn it off if you you know if you don't like me turn it off if you like it but let's keep going (laughs) so um yeah it's always with any type of creative pursuit on earth we're some of the most delicate people on earth and when you we're always putting ourselves out there whether it's the new ad or the new this or the new that we're this front line and so you've got to get used to it yeah um but it never gets less vulnerable and you never feel like i've got this type thing it's it's always a scary process i think that's really sort of healthy that you take the piss out of yourself and i think people really connect with that i think (laughs) as a culture we do try and put our best foot forward and particularly on social media we want to present our best self and i think it's just so awesome to see a brand as you said lifting the veil and just showing that authentic self and it translates so well because everyone resonates with it because they can take a sigh and go, you know, it's okay if you don't have it all together. And if you, if you are a bit of a dickhead and I think that's what people buy into a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. I just want to be comfortable in my own skin and comfortable with the people I'm around at the end of the day. And 
I love that our brand voice is an extension of the people who are in the business because um, you're not pretending to be anything else at that point. And, uh, and again, it's that thing you are talking about earlier about um, just always selling people shit. Um, I don't have a desire to do that. Um, I've never been a good salesman, but I'm a good storyteller and I prefer that. It's like a, it's a nicer place to be in and it's, it's more, it's rewarding for everyone rather than being pushed shit all the time. So. That was episode two of Pivot with Sterling Howland. We'd love it if you would subscribe, rate and review and share this podcast on social media. Also, if you haven't already, make sure you drink some Bolter's delicious beer. If you have anyone in mind that you'd love us to interview, feel free to slide into our DMs at poly underscore studios on Instagram.